Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Pretty Much Done. I'm Julia Mazur. Today I had mindfulness expert Case Kenny on. You may have already seen his inspirational quotes on social media, and if you haven't, check them out because they really make my day. Today we discuss finding the why behind things, like your standards, what you want out of a relationship, and how to have the awkward conversation about asking what someone is looking for when you're dating. We also dive into why situationships happen and why straight men below the age of 30 feel very immature at times. Here's Case. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited about today's guest. When I found him on Instagram, I was immediately drawn to his inspirational and motivational messages. He is the host of his own podcast, New Mindset Who Dis, and he just came out with a book, which is so exciting. It is called That's Bold of You. I was going to say that is very bold of you, but that's bold of you. So Case Kenny, welcome to Pretty Much Done. I'm so excited to have you. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, that'll be version two. That's very bold of you. That'll be the second edition. But for now, it's just it's just bold of you. Just be bold. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to read it. I was listening to your podcast episode before this about the book. We're definitely going to get into it. But first, I'm excited to have like a straight male perspective. I'm always excited to have it on the pod because I talk to a lot of females and we all have our answers and our stories and our narratives, but I'm excited to hear yours. But first and foremost, like I wanted to hear about how you got into this work. Like what has your journey been with like mindfulness and self-love and like just just tell me a little bit about how this work found you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the best phrasing. I would say it found me or I stumbled into it. I never set out certainly in, in any sense to be a motivational figure or some kind of expert, much less an influencer. And I, and I still don't consider myself those things. Benny Stretch, I consider myself just someone who does what interests him. But for me, I'm 34 and I've worked in advertising. I've worked in sales. I lived in Chicago most of my life. I live in Miami now. But for the majority of that, I was just doing my thing. I worked in advertising. I worked in sales, lived in Chicago, dated around, lived a great, privileged, regular, average dude life. I sometimes I refer to myself as a dude bro guy because I feel very average in that sense. Like I like Chipotle house music, going to the gym, playing (laughs) Call of Duty, like very average dude type things. I would agree. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't consider myself someone who's like, man, I've always felt this like calling and like this heightened sense of awareness. So that's never been me. And to add to that, I would say I always felt a little bit cynical towards like self-development or self-help always be like, who who is Tony Robbins to tell me what is right and what is wrong? However, obviously, a lot of that mentality changed and you could say it's maturity, it's growth. I say for me, it's just when I like turned 28, was in the midst of my career, had just gotten out of a long-term relationship. And I kind of just took a look at myself and I was like, man, you know what would really suck is if in 30 years I look back and I realized that I was doing things, chasing things, becoming a person that I didn't really spend time considering. I wasn't doing it intentionally. I wasn't defining what actually makes me happy. I was doing what I thought would make me happy. I wasn't dating the people or the person who was right for me. I dated the people who I thought were right for me, so on and so forth. I was like, that would really suck because you can't change the past. So I was like, man, I don't like, I would love to answer the question right now at 28, if I'm living a life that's true to me. And I didn't really have a great answer. So I did what anyone would do, I suppose. I started a podcast. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to challenge myself to, you know, get real, practice self-awareness, you know, ask myself these questions. And I had written online in in various formats. I was always very interested in like digital marketing and publishing and things like that. I was like, right, this is great. It's an intersection of interests and also a need. Like I need to figure these things out for myself. Why not try? And the, the long story short is through the practice of doing the podcast, I kind of realized what I was doing, which is practicing mindfulness by definition, you know, the, the practice of self-development, self-awareness. And fast forward, I started to get so much value from that, from talking about these topics, giving my perspective. It became my source, my own form of therapy. And then lo and behold, people started to listen and they started to say, case like I have the same exact thoughts, questions, anxieties, feelings, and then have done it for five years and kind of fell into the space of sharing my perspective on all things mindfulness, not saying this is right, this is wrong, how to do it. I don't know. I say it all the time, sometimes to my detriment, you know, my advisors and my agent, they're always like, Casey, you got to stop saying you don't know, or you got to accept the label expert. And I'm like, I don't want to because I'm not. And yeah, that's the long and the short of it. Started to do a bunch of writing and publishing and business building. And now I do a lot in music, but all just a, a, a way to bring mindfulness to life in a passionate, creative, 
relatable way. That's the the long, short story. That's cool. It's funny because I started this podcast when I was 28 as well. So it's just an interesting it's a great time in life to start a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that as you like dive deeper, closer to your 30s, you're like, wait, everything I thought I knew and like I'm getting a little older, like I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. And it's cool that you kind of had the podcast as something to hold you accountable to figuring it out because, you know, you can skip therapy and like you can stop not meditate for a day and no one will know. But like the podcast listeners were like, wait, he didn't put out an episode or like his two episodes this week. Yeah, they're they're on me. At its core, I mean, you can call it a quarter life crisis, whatever label you want to put on it. But it was just a time where I was like, I have these questions. I have these interests. Why not combine them? And the result has you know been really great for me. And, you know, it's been really interesting, of course, too, to, to see like the type of people that gravitate towards the content. I started to talk about dating. I didn't do it for a long time. I waited 70 episodes to do dating content because I was like, who am I to give dating advice? What a crazy topic to give advice on. And then started to do that. And, you know, it's kind of just taken off since. Yeah, well, that was my next question. My next question was like, would you say that the breakup led to you kind of soul searching? Was like that, like that moment in your life where you were like, hmm, maybe this wasn't like the right situation for me. And like, it kind of evolved from there. Yeah, I mean, the breakup was fantastic. It really like it needed to happen. And I'm so glad she broke up with me. And it was one of those things where I was just young and we both knew the relationship wasn't right. But I guess I refused to pull the trigger and be like, we need to break up. And it eventually just drove her away and she broke up with me. The wrong way to handle things, but like the ultimate blessing in disguise. It was so fantastic that she did that. Thank you. And I think that moment combined with I was very, very focused on my job at the time. I was traveling twice a week managing a team. I was like, man, you know what? If that relationship wasn't right for me, maybe my job isn't right for me. Just kind of had this like avalanche of thoughts of like, oh man, if that wasn't right, what is right in every aspect? So it was definitely a catalyst and like an impetus for like thinking more intentionally. But it was, you know, just a great pivotal moment that made me be like, all right, I need to get intentional about everything. What do you rely on now for like, what's your gauge of like when things are right or wrong? Like, how do you suss that out like it seems like you know you're obviously in the right field for yourself and you will get into it later but you mentioned to me on our initial call that you're in a relationship like how do you hone in on that now now that you're practicing mindfulness you have this podcast you're like 400 plus episodes deep like I think you're almost at 500 yeah well I mean I I would say for one I've grown up for sure I mean I've been doing it for five years and I, I don't think well for one five years of time you grow inevitably you get to know yourself better and you're just more mature and you're less afraid to have awkward conversations or direct conversations I think that's been hugely beneficial plus I mean doing the podcast has forced me to think specifically logically and mindfully. And I always talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't this very esoteric thing where you're like, I am summoning energy and like I am one with my world. It can be then I love people who practice that type of mindfulness. My type of mindfulness is, hey, I'm 34. I have, you know, let's call it 10 years of dating experience in my 20s. And I can look at all those experiences and I can practice mindfulness by saying, okay, I experienced A, therefore I believe B. I have experienced B, therefore I believe C, C, B, D, E, F, G. These are standards, boundaries, things that I know about myself. And I have proof of why they're true to my life. I don't have to guess. I don't have to play stupid. I don't have to do anything like that because I have those experiences. And that has formed my like ethos of knowing what I want, knowing what I need, not being afraid to communicate it, being intuitive, spotting red flags. The whole thing comes from experience. And I think mindfulness on top is the ability to make sense of your memories, to make sense of your experiences and to form standards, boundaries and intentions that are real. Not from a movie, from a rom-com or from an article on the internet, but from your actual life. And I think it's easier to practice mindfulness the older you get, I think, because you have more experiences to help make sense of your life. And now I have a little bit more. Yeah. And confidence to feel that like you're not going to crumble if you do express those standards that you have for yourself. Exactly. I mean, I think confidence is one of those topics people love to talk about. How do I develop confidence? And there's all kinds of ways, I think. But I think the number one way is to practice mindfulness because it gives you like immovable, non-negotiable standards. I always talk about the difference between being like selective and being picky. I talk to people all the time and they're like, how do I know if I'm being too needy or too picky or too selective, whatever it may be? And I always say, who knows, like who who am I to say you are or you aren't? But I do know that the one thing that is like the period on the end of a sentence that means you should never change it is if you have an experience you can look at and say, I experienced this likely the opposite of what you want or deserve. Mm -hmm. And therefore, because of that, you have this standard. 
if you have that experience, I don't think that standard is ever too much, too needy, too whatever, because you yeah. have that experience. Where I think we get into trouble sometimes is we come up with these standards that we're borrowing from other people or we're borrowing from the internet. And it's great, again, to have standards, but we have to have a why behind the standard when we do, for one, then it's real. And two, we have the ability to not negotiate on it when we're in the midst of something that is tempting. And that's where I think confidence comes from, because you're just rooted in your experiences, likely the opposite of the good experiences you want. And then you can look at those as a source of empowerment rather than some kind of you know detractor. I love that. I love that so much. Like, that's such a great explanation. Just to like close the loop on that, like I was thinking to myself of an example, like my parents have always like been breathing down my neck of like, you need to meet someone, get married, have kids, you know, like as I get older, it's like my Jewish generational trauma. But I always used to tell people like, or if my parents set me up, I was like, well, he's not very funny. And like, I like someone who's funny. And my parents' reaction to that was like, you don't need a comedian. Like, you don't need to be with like a stand-up comedian. But like my experiences have been that if I don't find humor in the relationship or situation, I'm not going to be like intellectually stimulated. Like, it's just not going to work. So I like that, like, period. Yeah, I think that's so important because otherwise, you know, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you look back and you're, you're going to be like, man, I had a sneaking suspicion that was important to me, but I, I slid it aside because I was rushing because I felt like I was falling behind. And then you're stuck in a situation where you can't change the past. And I think that's way worse than being single for longer than you want. Like, I think sometimes when it comes to like pressure, whether that's generational pressure, parental pressure, social pressure, personal pressure, do a comparison of outcomes. What is the worst scenario? Being single for a little while longer, waiting to find that permanent person in your life or rushing into something, filling a gap, acting out of loneliness, only to realize two, three, four years down the road that you messed up and then you have to start over. Yeah, I mean, those aren't that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with yourself, but sometimes you need to have those to like be like, all right, stop. I'm going to stop rushing. Yeah. If anyone is like listening and has listened to like all my episodes, they'll be like, this is like a recurring theme. And I, cool. I know it's like me projecting my thing because I'm 29 and like recently single and feel pressure about it. But I 100 percent, I'd rather be 40 and single than like get divorced and have to deal with that. And, you know, like have split custody of children, like all those responsibilities, yeah. like for sure. Yeah. I just released an episode called Is a Breakup the Worst Case Scenario? And obviously by that title, the answer is no. There are yeah. far worst case scenarios, namely yeah. what you just said. And logically, we are like, yeah, of course, of course. But we do this thing where we put scenarios on a pedestal, namely a bad pedestal. Like we don't want to get anywhere near that pedestal. Yeah. And we think a breakup is the worst case scenario. And we do so many things to avoid that. We'll stick it out. We'll say, oh, he'll change. She'll change. I'll change. Yeah. That potential will finally arrive. And I think the the longer we keep a breakup as being the worst case scenario, the more hold it has on us when that breakup inevitably comes. And then it's even harder to pull yourself out of it. So I love a good comparison of outcomes, even if it's uncomfortable. There are far worse outcomes than a breakup. Yeah. If anything, a breakup is a five minute, horrible, awkward potentially devastating conversation. Five minutes. Ten, I mean, yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? But hopefully yeah. longer five minutes, but a day. Yes. And then you can move on. Let's put like being happy, being single on a pedestal. And that's like the reframe. Yeah. My reframe was it's the best case scenario because yeah. if you knew it needed to happen or you had an inkling that it needed to happen and you're practicing mindfulness and intentionality and you're looking at your experiences to say, here is why, then it's the absolute best case scenario for you. Because now you're yes. on day one of moving forward as opposed to delaying, 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 delaying. And time is a valuable asset. And the longer you delay it, the longer you're delaying closure, healing, moving on, whatever it may be. 100%. Well, I mentioned that I'm excited to have like a straight male perspective. So I took a look on your blog and like you write a lot about like the differences. I'm talking about like a hetero female, hetero male perspective, but like the differences between men and women in dating. And I wanted to ask you, there's probably not just one, but like, what do you think is like the biggest differentiator between men and women when it comes to dating? Like the big thing where we don't overlap, where there's that uneasy communication, like why, what is, what is that big thing? From my perspective, I think it's just a sense of timing. I'm not sure if I buy into this one just yet. I saw a quote the other day that I shared and my DMs were slammed because everyone was very opinionated and women seem to agree with this. It was a statement that I'm going to butcher it on on the moment. It was for men, it's the right time. For women, it's the right person. And Mm -hmm. that made me think, 
And I think it'll make everyone think. You think about that yeah. for a second. And yeah. I do see, I do see, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I come back to the idea of timing a lot. And I think men's timing is just later in life. Uh, that yeah. to me, maybe that's yes, maybe that's no. But I do think for women, there is, I don't want to say rushing, but there's more pressure. I think that is undeniable. Yeah. Societally, biologically, parentally, there is more pressure. And then I think pressure evolves to identity formation. You know, a lot of women, I think, associate their identity with their partnership status, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. I think there's just a gravitation towards that. And I think men do less so. If anything, men identify in the opposite, their freedom, their independence, their ability to score, whatever it may be. Um, So I think timing plays a big, big role. And I think men are just like, yeah, no, it's okay. I'll start over. I'll find someone new. Whereas women, it's, it's way more complicated than that. So I think that is the biggest difference, just our mentality towards when. And I think that then manifests itself in many different ways. So that's what what I would say just on the spot thinking about that. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. And it made me think. I think that when I think about like why, I think that, you know, we grew up as women watching like Disney fairy tales and it's like, you know, the guy chooses you and like you wake up from like your sleeping beauty and like the guy wakes you up. And it's like, so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. We're just wow. like waiting for that guy to choose us. So like yeah. I can understand how that comes to play and like the timing situation of obviously now with like freezing your eggs and other like fertility advancements like that's diminished a bit. But for sure, there's that. What do you think about your quote like made me think and I need to like still sit with it and and to form like my real opinion on it but what do you think about like the saying of like right person wrong timing like give me your thoughts because I I don't know how I feel about it I think my thoughts are in line with the well I don't know everyone has different opinions nowadays my thoughts are it's it's not a real thing I think if we really cut to the core of it right person wrong time is just wrong person because I mean if you are convinced that someone is right for you or might be right for you like truly convinced you're not going to throw it away you're going to try you're at least going to try even if you're living on the other side of the country, even if you just started a new job, you're not going to throw away potential because you know you're going to be busy, for instance. You know, I think there there are exceptions, of course. I think health, I think potentially meeting someone right after a devastating breakup and you just emotionally cannot function. I I can buy that for sure. But anything else, like the example of I'm busy or I have a lot going on or I want to focus on my career, we just need to have the courage to say how we really feel. And a lot of times it's us saying that right person, wrong time. And I think that's a lack of like true, true awareness. If we think about our behavior in other areas of life. If we're convinced something is right for us or if we truly want it, we're not going to be like, oh, I'm too busy. We will make time for it. Yeah. For some reason, when it comes to relationships, we, we love that as an excuse. So that's that's kind of where where I arrive at. Do you think that if 28 year old case uh, not post breakup, like taking away the breakup, but like 28 year old case, a great girl before he had practiced his mindfulness, before he found his purpose and like done all of it, a great girl comes around, would you have been able to like commit? Or do you think that you needed to kind of go through these things? I I think I needed to go through the things. I think I needed to grow up. I think that quote that I said earlier about for a guy, it's the right time. I think that was true for me. Yeah, I I think I had a lot that I wanted to prove to myself about who I was, what I was capable of financially, confidence, see the world kind of vibe. And I think that inclination, so I could buy the idea for men, it's the right time, but it's not literally just timing. I think it's a misconstruing of the idea of what a relationship gives you. I think for a lot of men, men think freedom, independence, and relationships are mutually exclusive. Mm. Getting more out of life in a relationship are mutually exclusive. And I think getting into my 30s and now being with the right partner, I think has flip-flopped that and I've done a couple episodes on this. I think the right person gives you more life. I think the right person gives you more freedom and more independence. There's something called the dependency paradox, which is described in the paradox that the more that you know you can depend on someone, the more freedom you have in life. And that goes back to childhood. The more you know you can rely on your parent, the more eager a toddler is, for instance, to walk away from their parent because they know that their parent is there for them, so on and so forth. And I think I've seen that come true so much so as I grew and understood that settling down first of all i think is the opposite of what a relationship does it should hype you up it should super independentize you yeah both of you so i think yeah. it was just a reconstruction mentally of how i perceived the relationship but i think i just needed to come to that understanding that's cool i think that so many people like you mentioned the word depend on someone i think that it is really great to depend on someone but i think 
that you can lean on them in case, but you first need to be dependable yourself. Like first and foremost, you can't have someone like fill a void. You can't depend on someone to like make you happier, make you find your purpose or like, you know, if, if you hate your job, you can't depend on someone to fill that void. But it's nice to know in a relationship that you have that safety and that comfort if you need someone, but not to fill a void. If that yeah, makes sense. absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, there's many different kinds of attachment that are derived from dependency that are unhealthy. And any psychologist or therapist will, will tell you that it's a very valid point. So do you think then for all the female listeners who are listening, do you think that they should date older? I mean, yeah, I think so, which is tough because I don't really like giving advice like that because I try to stay away from like practical advice like, oh, say this or text this or like ask these questions on a first date. I don't know. I don't think right. I was a very suave dater. In right. my day, mindfulness is my area. But I would say given my firsthand experience, yeah, younger guys are younger guys. And I think that goes hand in hand with immaturity one. That's a big one. You could be mindful, but immature. And those things are at odds with themselves. I think older, you're going to start coming into your own. You're going to be more secure in yourself. You're going to stop doing things. Like I used to do this thing when I was single. I was single at like 28 to 33, basically. Okay. Like great years to be single as as a male, you're financially secure, you're confident, you're living in a big city. It's it's amazing. Yeah. But even during that time on the earlier end, 28, 29, 30, it was like I would look out and be like, well, okay, what does a single guy do and what does a single guy look like? And I was like, well, you go to the club for one, you have a roster for two, you talk like this, you don't you don't commit like <laughs> that, like tomfoolery. And that I kind of bought into that. And that, I would say, is the larger problem with men, women, whatever it may be, is comparison. Comparing other people saying, okay, that is a single guy. He looks happy and fulfilled. I need to be like him. Or for a yeah. woman, she is a woman in a relationship and she seems happy, so I need to be like her, whatever it may be, or the opposite of that. And I think we create a lot of problems for ourselves through comparison. Of course, there's no denying that. Yeah. I think a lot of our judgment comes from comparison, the way that we judge ourselves. I'm a single guy. What am I doing right now? Why don't I want to have a bevy of women or why right. am I cuffing up, right? You know, whatever it may have been. I think that was derived not solely, but very much impacted by comparison and social media, if we want to go there as well. Totally. So I guess the practical advice, like as you were speaking, is like figure out what rings true for you. Think about it. Like, do you feel compelled to have kids right now? If that's a no, then that's okay. Or I think for me right now, like I don't want to be in a relationship and that's okay. Like, but I was so conditioned my whole life to be like, before 30, you've got to do it. But it, it's not calling to me. So yeah, it's so tough. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and, and give advice and talk about advice for men. And, and it's different for women. It's, it's different. It's, it's tough. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you rush into something that's not right for you, then you're moving closer and closer to that scenario where you finally get your head right and you finally find yourself and you're acting intentionally and you realize it was the wrong decision. That's not to say like to take yourself out of the game and not be willing to try and, and shut off and be cold. But yeah, I wrote a book called Single is Your Superpower because I believe being single is like the pivotal time in your life to be selfish, to practice what interests you, to become whole. You know, you mentioned it a second ago. I mean, it's like the ideal scenario for dating is two whole people, W-H-O-L-E, whole people <laughs> coming together and bringing their amazingness, their independence, their hobbies, their passions together, as opposed to two people looking to complete themselves through a partner. It's just a different mentality. And, and I think if you can resist the urge to be in a relationship because that's what you're supposed to do, I think that patience pays off drastically. Yeah, agree. On our initial call, we talked about uh, you and you just wrote a book called That's Bold of You. And, you know, we talked about being too much like so this is something that you talk a lot about on your podcast. And I've been talking to a lot of girlfriends who are looking for relationships and do want to find their partner and do want to get married. And I feel like so many women are afraid to tell men that like to say, like, I want that because it's too much. It's comes off yeah. desperate or to anything. So what's your initial reaction to that? Do you not come off desperate if you want those things? Well, I think it's two things. I think there's a measure of practicality, of course. Like, let's all be real. Let's all be human. No matter how intentional a guy or a girl may be, if you come at them on date one, date two, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to get married like tomorrow. Like, let's go. Like, yeah, let's let's have practicality. Let's be rational. Yeah. That's not how you form a relationship in business or romantic either. So there's right. a sense of just like 
Let's settle down. Even if we're excited and you're an excitable person, let's play it cool. Let's, let's, let's play it calm. Yeah. But with that being said, I'm very big on like not wasting time. And how do you know if you're wasting time or not? Well, the only way you're wasting time is if you're operating in the gray, which is ambiguity. And I talk a lot about like encouraging people to speak to their intentions and to get clarity on someone else's intentions. I think a conversation like that can be so simple and so low stakes and super casual on date one to at least see where someone's head is at. Like literally, why are you dating? What does a partnership look like to you? So on and so forth. Past then, you know, it's up to you about how you start wording these things. But I always come back to the mantra that guides me. Again, it's a comparison of outcomes. Like that is mindfulness to be. And it comes to the fact that when you speak up and you say, here's what I want. Are you on the same page? What do you want? However you word it, when you finally have the courage to have 30 seconds of awkwardness, you either get the answer you want or you get the answer you need. But either way, you're winning. And I think we need to put ourselves in more situations where we're getting what we need or we're getting what we want. And if you're not doing that, you're getting neither of those. And I don't think that benefits you, certainly. And mm -hmm. it doesn't benefit them either. I have no idea, no practicality, no blueprint for saying when to have those conversations. Ask a dating expert for that. But I think the mentality of being like, I am dating because I know what I want. And therefore, I need to get what I want or I need to get what I need. And mm -hmm. one is tough. One is essentially rejection or redirection, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I think we need to be willing to embrace that. And I think that's bold. And I think it is completely the most compassionate thing you could do in your life rather than waiting for either permission or waiting for them to voice their mind. Do you think that there are some situations where people lie? To like give you what you want to hear. <laughs> well, yes. So that's the old loophole, isn't it? That's why you yeah. always want to have an attorney present when you have these conversations. <laughs> yes, of course. And I wish I had an answer for that. I mean, I talk sometimes about like the kind of questions I encourage people to ask to try to see through lies. Like, you know, I always encourage people to ask, like, what are you looking for? Super easy to lie. Oh, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. Yeah. I encourage people to ask, well, what does that look like? When someone says that, I have found that if you say, what are you looking for? And they're like, oh, I'm looking for, you know, someone special. And you hit them with, well, what does that look like? I find that could be pretty telling. If someone panics in that moment, it's not you're not expecting poetry. You're not expecting them to write you a poem about what they want. But mm -hmm. someone who hasn't thought about that, they're not going to have a great answer. They're probably not going to have any answer. So that's one thing I recommend, whether it's super practical or not. But I mean, that's the thing about dating. You are inherently putting yourself out there to be hurt. And yeah. there's no way around that. I wish there was. But I think sometimes we need to we need to stomach that fact that and you should be proud of that. You should be proud of yourself for putting yourself out there. Yeah. A lot of people aren't willing to. And it's no wonder you're not meeting people. But I think you should be proud of yourself anytime you're willing to do that. Yeah. A girlfriend and I were recently getting drinks and we were like, we are in the trenches out here on Hinge. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there, but you run the risk of you can potentially meet your person and you, you can potentially have that great experience or getting hurt and like you'll get over it like with time. Yeah. yeah I mean, dating Dating is one of those things where it's for some reason, dating is inherently emotional, of course. And anytime you have emotions in hand, whatever the outcome, it's going to be supercharged, whether that's frustration, whether that's connection, it's going to be supercharged because it's the most vulnerable interaction in life. But sometimes I, I think we get it a little bit twisted where we're like, all right, I'm dating. Like, I think I am a delusional optimist. But when it comes to dating, I've always been like, I expect some disappointing experiences. I expect them right off the bat. Like, it's part of the process. Like, do you expect to find permanence, like the right person who offers you everything you want, reciprocity, connection. Do you expect that to be easy? I don't. Yeah. I think the, yeah. the best things in life come very difficult. You know, they come after very difficult circumstances. And yeah, think about dating apps for like, I see a lot of people, they'll be like, yeah, I've been on dating apps for a month. And my conclusion is all men are pigs or all women are gold diggers, right? Just right. far yes. off assumptions. And I'm like, that's your conclusion after and I was like, it's okay to come up to have come across a couple bad apples and to be like, man, that was frustrating. But to then stretch a conclusion to all this or all that, I think you want to talk about the idea of like manifestation and things like that. I think those types of comments and beliefs are very detrimental because I'm, I'm not much of a cosmic law of attraction type guy. But if you're telling yourself a story of dating apps are horrible, all men are this, all women are that, I don't see how it's possible that you're then going to go out and find a reality that's the opposite of that. I find those two things to be very at odds with each other. 
And I always, I did an episode a while back called like, is love worth the risk? And basically my take was, it's only worth the risk if each time you're disappointed, hurt, whatever it may be, you're willing to wipe the slate clean. That is, you're willing to take the lesson, you're willing to take the standard, the boundary, the self-love, but you're wiping the slate clean as far as the story you tell yourself. If you've been broken up with six times and that sucks, and you tell yourself that you're only going to be broken up with in the future, all men are this, all women are that, I'm unlovable, then yeah, why would love be worth the risk for you? If you've already determined the next outcome of your life, why would it be worth the risk? We're practical people. It wouldn't be worth the risk. Why would you do something that you can't succeed at? Probably wouldn't do it. So we have to be willing mentally to wipe the slate clean as far as a, an outcome or a belief system or the way that we view the world. So I'm going on and on, but that's how I feel. No, it's so funny because my, my next question was, do you think that our limiting beliefs hold us back? And you just like answered that. So I'm so glad that you did. What do you think the mindset should be going in? Like, what is something that you can tell yourself instead of like, oh, this is going to suck. I'm newly single and like, I don't want to get heartbroken again. Like, what should the mindset be going in? I think there's so many. I think for one, I think we have to operate from a, a place of pride, being proud of putting ourselves out there for one, but not caving to these labels. Like we're so quick to jump on things like being lovable or unlovable or difficult, or I'm I'm too sensitive anyway. Like that's why that happened. Like going back to the, the idea of the book, the whole idea is that we're so quick to judge ourselves literally with words. I'm talking about adjectives that are not our own, that are coming from other people and, and not even literally from other people. What we assume other people will think about us. Oh, I'm too sensitive. I'm too loud. I'm too quiet. I'm too much. I'm too demanding. I'm too ambitious. I'm too this. I'm too that that we do this thing where instead of seeing ourselves through our own eyes, those are eyes that have seen every step of our journey and knows everything about us and knows the contents of our heart, our aspirations, what we bring to the table, what we're willing to do. And instead of being compassionate in that sense, we judge ourselves through the eyes of other people, either real people, strangers, make-believe people, crazy shower thoughts, scenarios, whatever it may be. And we start judging ourselves that way. And I think that's just giving away our power so quickly to say, oh, that'll probably be to this or to that, or I'm unlovable because of this. Like, we'll always find evidence of what we're looking for. And I think it's very important to come back to seeing ourselves through our own eyes. Those are honest eyes, eyes that are self-aware and know what we have to work on, but they're eyes that give us credit for what we know we have done, what we're doing, what we're willing to do, instead of jumping to these conclusions about how we'll be perceived or the way that someone did perceive us or misunderstand us in the past and how that'll only repeat itself we have to break free of that. And that that's my whole contention there. It's a mentality. And to your wording a minute ago, it's a limiting belief if you're not all in on seeing yourself through your own eyes again, instead of the eyes of other people, their reality, their understanding of the world. Yes, I love that. I like would applaud if I could. But um, it's so interesting, like the thought that came to mind is like, this always happens to people when someone doesn't text us back. You're like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't have texted so quickly or I shouldn't have texted first or I shouldn't have initiated. I think that, first of all, like there can be a million reasons why they didn't text back. But like maybe the reframe is like, oh, for me, like I have an anxious attachment style and I can look at like, oh, did I text because I was feeling anxious? Like, where did that come from? I know I'm great and amazing, but separately, my self-aware eyes can be like, well, why did you text first? Or like, why did you text so quickly? Like, what was it? about your attachment style, for example, nothing to do with like who you are and what your eyes know and see and what your mind knows. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think challenging yourself to understand why you're feeling that way or why you're feeling the need to be a certain way is step one. And that is therapy. And I I would encourage people to abuse that, go to therapy as often as possible. But then also, again, I feel like a a broken record. I I love repeating myself because I'm big on certain things and it's a comparison of outcomes. If you text someone and then they're slow to text you back and you start devolving into that attached, anxious attachment style. Certainly what we're talking about helps be intentional about why, why you're, why you're doing that, why you're feeling a certain way, get to the bottom of your feelings. But then once you're past that and now you're starting to be like, well, maybe it's because they don't like me or this or that. If someone is turned off by the fact that you texted them too soon, they're not for you. I'm sorry, but yeah. they're not the right person for you. And that yeah. comes back to the get what you want or get what you need. Great. Now you've got a non-answer, a non-decision, which is an answer. And then you can move on. You can move on emotionally. You can move on, move on physically. And then there's other, we could talk about empathy and I could give the reasons why a man might not respond and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, you can look at your action. You can look at your output. You could look at their action 
And you could ask yourself of if your action came from a place of compassion, of love and authenticity, and it's not received by them or it's a literal turnoff for them, there's your answer. And it hurts, of course. This is rejection 101 and no one wants to be rejected. Even the most cocky, I find the most confident people in the world are the most insecure ultimately. Yeah. So it's easy for me to be, to be like, oh yeah, I get rejected. And I know it can be devastating. I don't handle rejection well. So again, it's it comes with a sense of balance. But if someone doesn't respond well to you being real and authentic and loving and compassionate, then you got your answer and you can stop being anxious about them and move on to being anxious about someone else. Yeah, totally. There's a, there's a new person. There's yeah. a new person yeah. lying on, yeah, yeah, on yeah, the apps. Be anxious about someone else. Yeah. Totally. A hundred percent. Okay. I want to talk about something with you from a straight male perspective, which is situationships. Mm -hmm. Why do they happen? I mean, I think like we kind of spoke about it and I think that like, we, you know, we were talking about in the situation, people can lie about what they want, what the outcome to be. Why do so many males dictate like how situationship starts because I feel like so many females go into it with the intention of like I want this to be a relationship and then they feel like a guy starts breadcrumbing and it turns into a situationship so what's your take on why this starts well I mean for a guy and I'm thinking about myself 26 27 into 30s it's like the perfect scenario it's yeah. a perfect scenario because when it comes to what someone wants in a situationship or in a relationship let's call it a relationship men and women want the same things right they want someone who's there. They want physical intimacy. They want some sense of emotional intimacy. They want that availability. They want someone to fill a void in their life. They don't want to be lonely, so they want that person. And a situationship is so perfect for that, right? You get yeah. all those things, but there's no sense of commitment. And when that's the case for a man who's at a phase in their life where maybe they're reflective of the mindset I talked about earlier, where independence and commitment are mutually exclusive, freedom, seeing the world, curiosity, and a commitment are mutually exclusive. It's the perfect scenario. Mm -hmm. And unfortunate reality is I think far too many women are willing to put up with it because they do what I talk a lot about, which is they place so much emphasis on potential rather than reality. Oh, well, yeah. this will turn into something better, more different. And it's not like men are preying on that and are predators. Men just feed into it because it's easy. It's easy to do with non-action. It's easy to feed that with little bits of potential, little bits of compatibility, breadcrumbing. It's easy to get stuck in that cycle and then either falls apart or it does become something more. I've seen many situationships turn it into something more, but they have to be defined. That comes from a tough conversation. But ultimately, it's because of that. Because why do situationships happen? Well, because you let them happen or because there's a lack of guardrails. There's a lack of intention from the beginning and there's a lack of communication throughout. And then there's too much guessing, right? There's too much guessing. Oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? And again, I get that. It's easy to be on the sidelines guessing rather than to be in someone's face and asking. But situations have happened because we let them happen. You shocked me by saying that you've seen situationships turn into relationships. I'm shocked by that. You think that they can evolve? I do. Yes. I wouldn't say it's the majority. I'd say there's maybe a 10% sample size where I have seen it happen. And I would say it comes from my perspective of a little bit of empathy towards men. Like women spend a lot of time like guessing what men's behavior means, right? Yeah. <laughs> and really? No, yeah, I would no, never. No way, right? Uh, <laughs> exhibit A, what does it mean? I. A lot of the times it's exactly what you think it means, right? Why is he avoiding your text? Well, because he doesn't want to further the relationship. He wants to create that distance, so on and so forth. There is a world and I've seen it. I have close friends who exist in this world where men are acting out of what they've learned is right or wrong. Men are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. Men are acting out of fear of a repeated experience. Like I have some friends who come on very heavily in the beginning and that's been thrown back in their face. And their response is that their next relationship, their next courting phase, their next situationship, they're playing it super cool because they don't want to be the overeager ones. Like you talk about women not wanting to be overeager and too intentional and talk about their needs. There are a lot of men out there who are the same exact way. And it creates all kinds of communication challenges. So in the instances, the 10% that I'm referring to here where a situationship can bloom is where the guy is on the same page as the, as the girl or whatever relationship we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they want it to become more, but they're operating in that fear zone, that fear of rejection, that fear of maybe they were broken up with before because they were to the point too intentional, too ready, and the, and the, and the woman wasn't. So I have seen it happen when that's the case specifically. So 
maybe a bit of empathy towards the men <laughs> there. We'll, uh, not too much, though, just a little bit. We'll give the 10% empathy there. 10%, there you go. What do you think of like Tinks's box theory that like men place women in a box? If anyone hasn't heard of it, it's like when a man meets you, they either put you into the hookup box or they put you into the relationship box and like nothing you can do changes their opinion of what box they've placed you in. What do you think about that? What timeline does she associate with that? Like how long does it take to get in a box? She I think she says right away, like first date, like meet them once. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that. I don't think life is that simple. I think men are not that simple. I think it's very easy to be like, oh, men think like this and you're either this or that. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think the right guy is not going to put you in any box right off the beginning. Like, I think the right guy that is someone who is intentional and knows themselves well, they're not going to make a decision after one date. I think that like, I would never do that. I would never make a decision after one date because I'm like, I don't even know this person. How am I going to yeah. say yes or I'm going to say no? Certainly, I put someone in a no box after one first date. That's pretty easy to do if you're like, yeah, we're just we're just not compatible. But I think beyond that, I don't think it's necessarily true. I think if a guy has a mentality of hookup, it's probably easy to end up in a hookup box. But if you have a guy who's actually looking for something more, I don't think they're going to make that decision very quickly. Okay. Interesting. I think that what it was to combat is like women feeling like anything they've done, like, I don't know, you get so hard on yourself if you sleep with someone on a first date. And she's like, listen, like there's nothing you can do wrong to kind of steer him in either direction. What do you think about sleeping with someone on a first date? I think it's fine. Yeah. I mean, just because I've, I have scenarios where it worked and where it didn't work. I know people who slept on the first date and are so happy together. I've seen yeah. where they didn't and they are happy together. So I think it's tough where we get into the land of rules. I was on, um, what's her name? Lindsay's podcast. We met at Lindsay was Lindsay was on here. That's why oh, I asked. Nice. Yeah. yeah and she yeah. is, she is <laughs> the queen of rules. And we yeah. had a great conversation about it because I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was really cool. It was really cool to have like two perspectives on it. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, you know, I have this whole thing where I talk about it's, it's best to go into dating with no expectations, but high standards. I think expectations just like really devolve our critical thinking and ability to be intuitive and we start sliding and we start negotiating and we start you know, making guesses and i think the best thing you could do is have very high standards again standards that come from a strong why but no expectations that is no expectations for how something is supposed to look how many dates you're supposed to have before you sleep together how many dates before you dtr or whatever it may be i think standards are what you turn to when you say okay now i'm getting a feeling that this isn't right now i turn to a standard that says i'm going to move on and that is your source of truth rather than well Lindsay said this and Tink said that, I, no disrespect to anyone, I think it's great to be inspired by other people's examples. But I yeah. think what trumps other people's examples is your example and what you've been through. And that is Mindfulness 101. And I, <laughs> I think it's just a strong place to operate from. It makes you whole, it makes you independent, and it, and it gives you more confidence to act on a red flag or act on your intuition and be fine with it instead of overthinking it in some sense. I like that. I want to quickly talk about your book that you released because I know you've talked about how you've done the kind of like you've done journal books, but this is your first like real word book, all words book. So <laughs> if someone wants to like buy this book or even buy your journals, like what can they expect to get out of it? Yeah, I would say for this one in particular, it's kind of about the subject that we've been circling a lot here. It's the way that we tend to describe ourselves and identify ourselves by what we've been told or what we fear most or what we've been through. You are too sensitive. You are too this. You are too that. It's very quick to identify by the, the hurt that we've been through. And the thesis of the book is that we need to break free of that. It's actually a pretty interesting book because it combines all my casisms, my comparison of outcomes, my mindfulness, but also a lot of research around vulnerability and the way that we respond to drama, the way that we either identify by conflict or we're empowered by it, all these kinds of things. So it's really just a, an interesting mindset reset on how we look at ourselves because talk about limiting beliefs, limiting beliefs, whether or not we think they're just beliefs or not, they do become actions. And I think, you know, limiting beliefs are the source of regret in life. And, you know, I really, my goal in life is to minimize regret. That is, I'm okay with failing, being rejected, embarrassing myself, being hurt emotionally. I would prefer that over looking back one day and realizing that I can't change something. Yeah. Because that is, you know, regrets are permanent and that, that kind of scares me. So that's my whole take there. 
And then with the journals, it's a lot of different mindsets to help people kind of redefine themselves in various ways, whether that's around their anxiety, around the relationship status, whatever it may be. But then with prompts to drive it home, I've always found, you know, it's one thing to hear a conversation like this, for instance, and be like, oh, that was really interesting. It's another thing to then take that and make it real and make it your own by putting pen on paper, looking at your experiences and actually writing it down. So that's my whole take on journaling, just what I think is the perfect mix of prompted and unprompted. Yeah, I found that journaling helps me so much. So I'm excited to take a deep dive. If anyone's listening, buy, buy Case's book and journals. I want to do a quick little rapid fire before I let you go. So if you're game, are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's one quote that someone can tell themselves every day to help them get through a breakup? I would say closure is not a team sport. I think a lot of times when we think about breakups, we think about closure, which is the next step. And a lot of times we think that that comes from our partner, it comes from a conversation, it comes from permission to move on, it comes from being on the same page. And I think we need to realize that closure is something that we create for ourselves. It's not given to us. So I always say that closure is not a team sport. That's good. That's really good. What's one piece of advice that you'd give to 20-year-old you? 20-year-old me. <laughs> I guess Ooh. we're 28-year-old. We can do 28-year-old yeah, yeah, sure. case too. Um, I would be, I would say just like more eagerness to be curious and actually act on my curiosity. I think there was a certain stage. Yeah. I would say, you know, like 25 to 28 where I, you know, just was still curious about things, but I stopped acting on it. I kind of had a, it is what it is mentality. Oh, you know, who cares? Or I'll just have another interest. I'll just do it later. And I think now I, and if I have an interest, I'm all in on it. And it's just brought me so much luck, randomness, new people, new ideas. I think just encouraging myself and other people, if you're curious about something, at least try it, at least discover it, at least give it a shot. That's great. What's um, one quote that will help someone shift their mindset into loving themselves? Here's one that a, a listener told me once. No, no, no. I, I saw this on Reddit. I love Reddit. Reddit's full of just such great first person advice from like regular people. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, what was the quote? The quote was the difference between a head full of memories and a head full of regret is your ability to forgive yourself. Mm. And I love that. It's so strong. And again, I'm very motivated by the idea of regret and forgiveness. The difference between a head full of memories and a head full of regret is your ability to forgive yourself. I think self-forgiveness is a topic in and of itself, but I think is so powerful. That's good. Closure with yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's an easy habit that goes a long way for mindfulness? Something a little bit more tangible. I would say journaling. I would say journaling. Yeah. I would say therapy. Like yeah. actual things. I'll, I'll say that. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, journaling, I think, is maybe you're not you're on the fence about therapy. It makes you uncomfortable. Something about it. OK, start with journaling. And I think you'll move your way to therapy because you won't not get something out of journaling. It's just yeah. a powerful way to be intentional and, and uncover something. Yeah. What's the best part about being single as someone who wrote single is your superpower? Oh, man, you could do whatever you want. Yeah. With complete freedom. Complete yeah. freedom. It, like. <laughs> I think if you believe in yourself and you believe that you will meet your person, the years that you're single are actually kind of not many. I'm talking about your 20s, right? I'm not talking about being single when you're 16 or even 20. I'm talking about 20, yeah. 21 to 30 maybe or 35 like or 40 even. Like Those are great years to be single. And I think freedom, you know, ability to be selfish and literally do whatever you want, I think is a gift. And it's not forever. So we should take advantage of it. Yeah. What's the best part about being in a relationship as someone who's now in a relationship? I think I get more out of life now that I have a partner. I have a ride or die. I have someone who supports me. I have someone who on the drop of a dime, hey, you want to go do this? Yeah, let's go do it. I have someone who can go with me in uncomfortable, awkward situations and we'll do it together. You get more out of life. You get more independence. You get more freedom. Yeah, that's awesome. What is one moment where you were really happy? It's like your safe place. It can be a place, a country, a city, a song, a movie. I would say I just moved from Chicago to here, but I, I had my chair set up. I lived downtown. I'm in a high rise right on the river and I had my writing chair set up right looking over the river. And for years and years and years, I would sit there, put on my music and just write. And it was just such a, a place of being productive, but just yeah. creative and vulnerable. That was like my spot that when I sat there and I put on my music, it just like I was just able to to speak and write honestly and, you know, I've created my my new space here. But uh, that was a special place. Yeah. Your house music. <laughs> my house music. Yeah. I got to be upbeat, energized. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, it's easy. Mashed potatoes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
Love mashed potatoes. Thrives at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Oh, that's my time to shine. Yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs, for sure. No one said cats yet. So funny. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrity crush. I've never had an answer for that. I hate to be that, like, you know, contrarian person, but I've just never. How am I going to crush on someone I don't know? I know that's a lame kind of annoying answer, but I need an emotional connection. (laughs) I don't know enough A-listers to be like, I am emotionally attracted to you. Your your girlfriend's going to love that answer. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a noble answer, but it's true. Yeah, genuinely. What's the best place to meet single people? I jokingly usually I say a pumpkin patch or the DMV, but I don't know. That's a joke. But I would say, I think it's the tried and true. I think it's when you're out. I think it's, you go fishing where the fish are, where the mentality is you want to meet other people. And unfortunately, you know, it's combined with going out and late nights and and liquor potentially, but you can't deny it that you got to, you got to go fishing where the fish are. So yeah, I still say that classic. Yeah. Um, Last one. What's the best city in the world? Chicago. Wow. Oh yeah. I believe that. Even being yeah. in Miami now, Miami's pretty freaking great, but Chicago's got a hold on me. <laughs> and Chicago's great, but I'm Just sure, so. like, I don't know, you're in Miami right now, it's probably 80 degrees outside, and you're like, Chicago. <laughs> Still, and yeah, it's 80 degrees here. I actually got to go, I have to go to Chicago later this week. And it's like, you know, 30 degrees and it's going to be miserable. But I'll still say that Chicago's Chicago's special. Something about yeah. being in the Midwest, but being in a big city and being inspired yeah. by it, you know, special. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that's it for me. Case, tell everyone where they can find you. This was so fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, I felt like this is a great conversation. And apologies if I, I rambled a little bit, but I love no, a good opportunity to talk so about much. myself. <laughs> okay. I learned great. so much. Okay, cool. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I mean, simplest way for me is just case.kenny on Instagram. I'm always linking everything. Everything's in my bio. The podcast is called New Mindset Who Dis. NewMindsetWhoDis.com is all my journals and books. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pretty Much Done. If you want more information about this episode, you can check our show notes. Go like, subscribe, and leave a review because it helps us grow the pod. Love you. Thank you. Sorry, did I just love bomb you? I'm not toxic. You are. Okay, bye.